This week on the Coin Week podcast, I talked to my friend, Numismatic News editor Dave Harper, about his recent trip to Beijing and how the Chinese government influences the numismatic industry there, and how the United States government, from what we learned at the recent U.S. Mint Forum, influences the numismatic industry here in a much more limited way. It's a lively and interesting discussion that gets to the heart of how our industry and trade show scene works and how we can and should do better. The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS, the PCGS members-only show featuring the Regency Auction by Legend Rare Coin Auctions will take place from December 13th to 16th in Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace. To learn more, visit PCGS.com. Hi, Dave. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Coin Week podcast. I read with great interest the piece that you wrote in Numismatic News about your thoughts and analysis relating to the Beijing Coin Show that you attended last month. Your comment that the Beijing Coin Show had all the trappings of a trade show led me to want to reach out to you on this topic because I made a similar observation after attending the World Money Fair in Berlin this year, and I feel that the way the American hobby approaches its largest coin shows warrants a reevaluation. But as you point out in your piece, it's easier to put on a robust trade show dealing with coins and numismatics when there is money flowing down from the top, as is the case in China with the government funding major parts of the show. So I'm hoping that we can have an informative and instructive conversation today, how they have developed over the course of your career, and whether we would benefit here in the States if our shows were more like the shows in China and Berlin. Well, I, I, I found it very fascinating to visit China and see how things are developing there. Uh, in the United States, uh, you know, I grew up in the hobby since I was eight years old, and it's, it's a bottom-up hobby. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a lot of people like you and like me and, and sharing common interests and banding together to create organizations and, and to sponsor shows and hold them and you go down an American bourse and it's dominated by uh, uh, coin dealers who are buying and selling from coin collectors and it's, it's all done on a personal and a private level. Uh, in China, uh, it's all new and, and wonderful to look at, but it's virtually all, all top down. Uh, the government basically owns all of the normal outlets. Uh, China Gold Coin Incorporated is the official uh, creator and salesman of all their gold and silver coinage. Uh, they own the Beijing show. Uh, they have a publication arm so that, you know, the, the reference books and the magazines they publish. Uh, they have a, a third-party grading service that they do, uh, that they pay for. Uh, they have an organization that, that they sponsor, so it, it's basically organized at the top, and then it's basic, then the people are summoned. And, uh, the question is, is, you know, will they be summoned? Will they, their interests take root? And, and, and will it go forward this way? Obviously, the Chinese government operates differently than the American government or governments in the European Union zone. Nevertheless, it seems that the Asian coin market has really proven itself to be a major growth area for the coin collecting hobby, and you can see a, a real focus in actively participating in that market by major American numismatic firms like uh, Stax Bowers or PCGS, NGC. 
They've all attempted to, you know, with various degrees of success, uh, operate in the Asian claim market. But with the uh, top-down influence of the Chinese government on that industry, what are the long-term prospects uh, for these American companies in the Chinese claim market? Well, you're absolutely right. China is is uh, a source of growth for numismatics worldwide. And uh, American grading services, American auction firms are making inroads. Uh, but you have to realize that uh, much of what the firms are doing hinges on auctions that are being conducted in Hong Kong and Macau, which have different legal systems than, than the Chinese mainland. And uh, so part of it is is, is uh, watching the evolution unfold. Uh, they, they have a foothold on the mainland. There is a huge potential market there. Uh, grading services can can uh, grade a lot of the classic rarities that then go into these auctions in Hong Kong and Macau and are purchased by a lot of uh, new I should say a lot of new money a lot of wealthy people that are that are collecting coins and, and buying the classic rarities that they're able to now afford. Uh, yeah, you know, the average Chinese collector is more likely to buy a, a silver or gold panda or, or a Chinese Lunar New Year coin, uh, or something of that kind. Uh, so, you know, there, it's a parallel track and, and the largest market, the larger of the two markets at the moment is still the, the sales of the new issues, uh, by the government controlled entities to average Chinese. Uh, right now, the average Chinese are not going to Macau or Hong Kong and buying coins. One of the things that I find interesting, and I've had a good relationship with dealers like Michael Chu and a few others active in that part of the world, it's that when Chinese coins uh, or even major uh, Asian rarities come up for sale uh, in a Western auction, and they're bought up by Chinese collectors, uh, that these coins are then taken off the international market for good. There's probably no way that any of these rarities are ever going to be allowed to be uh, exported for sale again, you know, once they're brought into the country by a collector. On the one hand, I can respect the desire of a country to recover and preserve its cultural assets. But on the other hand, as a collector and a hobbyist, it seems antithetical to the long-term viability of the American coin market to try to make a business in China selling it back its great rarities when the obvious outcome is that these companies will likely never again have a chance to offer these coins for sale to the international collecting community. I think that if, uh, you know, if you're an American dealer of Chinese coins, you should probably give that some thought and uh, realize the implications of what you're doing by returning these coins uh, to a closed-off market. Well, you know, you make a very good point, and there's nothing that, that you have said that's not true. All I can tell you is it appears to me that we're still in early days. Uh, the way the way the market is developing is, is in its early steps, and, and we don't quite know where it's going to go from here. Uh, I would hope that the, the market will continue to enlarge and grow, and, and the interactions will increase. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the edges will blur and we'll all come together. But, you know, how many years that might take, I have no way of knowing. So the Berlin show is similar to the Chinese show. You still have that trade show element. And uh, most of that is brought about by, you know, the very sophisticated representation of the European and world mints. You know, not the U.S. mint, mind you. Uh, and these mints construct very elaborate, very expensive booths. 
many of the mints obviously are state owned, so they have access to marketing budgets that, you know, your typical coin dealer would not have. Um, my take from it is that there's probably three great reasons that you want to attend the Berlin show. The first reason is to see the Cody Awards, which your publication has put on since 1982. Am I right? Uh, we have given them for coins since 1982. That's correct. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, you get to see uh, recognition for the best coin designs of the year as selected by your panel of judges. Uh, the second reason is to see all the new issues and innovations from the different mints and their support industries, uh, manufacturing equipment and technology firms. Uh, that's where you get the trade show element. And the third reason is essentially, you know, the only reason why you would come to an American show, you know, that interpersonal relationship with collectors and dealers and the ability to buy nice coins for your collection or see firsthand highlights from the auction or upcoming auctions, you know, where you might have an interest. So our shows, it seems to me, are, are very lacking of uh, any sort of presentation of what is current or contemporary in the minting industry. And and what innovation or direction the mints are taking to evolve and transform the coin hobby. You know, I think in America, we're really missing the boat on the upside of presenting numismatics as something that is contemporary. You may very well be right there. Uh, it, 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 it's, you know, when you go to Berlin or you go to Beijing and see all of these booths of, of world mints, you think, gee, why don't we have that in the United States? Uh, Part of the reason for it is simply a matter of the calendar. Uh, Berlin is held right at the beginning of the year, the first weekend in February, and most of the world mints use it as their platform to announce their coin programs for the entire calendar year. Uh, so Berlin is very well positioned to take advantage of, of, of that uh, advantage, you know, that 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 built-in uh, calendar advantage. Uh, you know, an American show to have a chance would have to to you know put something in in January like a fun show uh, and and try to compete well, you, on that level. You've been to the A and A many times, and I'm sure that you've had meetings with different mints as they show off products that they're going to launch within the next year. It's no secret that the mints bring and show their new and upcoming products uh, to the ANA's big summer show. Uh, they just, you know, for now, reserve the showing of these products to industry stakeholders and their marketing partners. Uh, they don't put on a proper presentation or exhibit of these items for the collectors to see. This summer, uh, you know, for example, I got to sit in a hotel room with the Monet de Paris and look at their unbelievably cool omelet coins and see what they had in store for the next calendar year. But the majority of American collectors, you know, none of, none of these people are going to see how attractive and innovative these designs are firsthand. Uh, instead, they'll only be able to see them in pictures on the web or in a hobby newspaper like yours. And I think that only that this is very limiting, you know, for an American collector, because uh, a picture doesn't bring to life the full essence of a coin, and it doesn't really elaborate on the innovation and, and just sort of the real-world weight of a design like the Omelet coin or, or some of the other fantastic coins that get put out every year. Let's take one step back. In, in, in the late 80s, the ANA made a huge push to get World Mints to attend their show, and they had some level of success in, in attracting them. 
And uh, they set up meeting after meeting after meeting of these world mints, uh, press conferences they called them, to introduce whatever it is they wanted to say to the American collector. And so it was my job to attend these meetings and take notes and you know, write stories about what they had to say. Uh, two things became obvious. The first is almost no American collectors attended these meetings in the first place. And then in the second place, what the mints were saying basically was a repetition of what they had been saying all year up to that point. So there was no new information. So I couldn't breathlessly write a new uh, story about a new issue from France because, hey, I'd known about it four months before or six months before. And so, you know, the calendar didn't work for the mint. The, the, the American collector didn't show up. Uh, so it just sort of died away, and, and so what we have now are the remnants of, of you know, the plucky world mints that, for whatever reason, uh, still have a foothold in in this market, and they, they you know, do their business in, in a manner that I assume is, is beneficial to them as they can. What do you think led to that recognition on the part of the ANA to have a, a more global representation at their show? Uh, was that born out of a pre-existing collector interest, you know, albeit small in world coins, or was it an attempt by the ANA to, to raise the specter of their show and, and introduce an unresponsive American audience to the potential of buying world coins from these mints? Actually, what 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 precipitated it is when ANA uh, hired the uh, retired director of the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to be its executive director. Uh, he had extensive contacts with with the uh, his counterparts all over the world, and so he used that familiarity with all these people to invite them all to come to A and A, and and they basically said, "Hey, yeah, we we know, we know them, we'll come." And uh, it was not uh, an initiative that originated with with a you know a deeply felt need by by American collectors or American coin dealers. It was basically something that they just happened to fall into because of, of the personnel change. Do you think that the taste of American collectors has changed or evolved in recent years? You know, it seems to me that there there's more collecting interest in world coins, but, you know, as they say, the, the proof is in the pudding. I think when you look at an A&A show or any of your, like, larger regional shows, uh, there's a very small minority of coin dealers that even trade in the area. U.S. You know, world coin collecting in the U.S. is very much a minority pursuit. Uh, if you're trying to find a, a critical mass of interest, uh, it's very difficult for world coins in the United States. You know, most shows are, are hugely U.S. coin oriented. Uh, we have a couple of, of uh, shows that are predominantly world based. Uh, you know, New York International is the premier one in January. Uh, so it's difficult. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, it's almost like you have to create a market before you can fulfill the need, and uh, no World Mint has ever really wanted to devote the time to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's to, it's to me interesting. I, we have the ability to buy whatever type of material that we want that's coming out contemporaneously. Uh, the Internet has changed the hobby and has brought a whole new generation of collectors into our hobby who will, will in all likelihood remain unknown to uh, most dealers personally throughout their collecting career. And I think that the real challenge that exists in our coin market is to create uh, public spaces that show the true health of the hobby and the market and allow decision makers and collectors and other companies to really grasp the potential for numismatics. And, and I think that 
The real disconnect is that we have not yet figured out a way to bring these internet collectors into the physical world with us and have not um, been effective in presenting a coin show in America that shows numismatics as a contemporary concern. You know, we're, we're, we're more focused on, on the past and old coins. And, and I think that uh, the lack of enthusiasm that you, that, that you sense on the Boris floor from time to time is indicative of that. I think you're right. Uh, that that's the challenge. I don't I don't know if we'll meet the challenge. Uh, the only real ongoing success that World Mints have had in the U.S. market are are you know World Mints like the Royal Canadian Mint that offer popular bullion coins to our market. Uh, the, the Perth Mint from Australia does the same. Uh, the Austri uh, Austrian mint with the Philharmonic and, and, and the gold and the silver versions, they're, they're successful. Uh, that might be the, 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 the foot in the door to, to expand uh, interest in world coins, but, uh, uh, you know, what, whether it'll ever take root to a huge degree, uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, in, in my lifetime, certainly it has not. Uh, I remember when I was a kid and, and, and uh, Winston Churchill died and Britain issued a crown and to honor him, uh, I thought that was the neatest thing in the world. And, and I had had to have one and I paid a buck and a quarter for the piece and now it's probably worth 50 cents. <laughs> and that's uh, kind of a, the hit and the miss of it. I, I never really became a, a, a committed world coin collector. I uh, uh, Whitman albums together of Canadian coins because uh, in my part of the world they were they were uh, easy to encounter in circulation. Uh, but uh, even even with that, I consider myself primarily a U.S. coin collector, and, and most hobbyists in the United States, I think that that's how they consider themselves to be. Before we go, I, I wanted to talk to you quickly about my trip to the uh, United States Mint Forum, uh, which I attended with uh, with Hubert. And, and I'm sure you've read reports and took significant interest in what went on there. I was surprised that the Mint approached the second forum as a sort of a top-down, uh, this is the reality and the lay of the land, and this is what we're going to do, and uh, I hope you accept it. And also, I was also surprised that the Mint seems to have a very aggressive marketing posture that extends uh, beyond their uh, $6 million marketing budget that uh, they have to spend um, you know, I don't know any firm in our industry that spends that kind of money on marketing, first of all. Uh, but it seems to be beyond that very aggressive. But it also seems to me that the Mint doesn't quite take into account that when they aggressively push their products onto uh, existing coin collectors, that they're potentially taking money away from coin dealers who, you know, do not have the benefit of creating new products and typically uh, make a living off of selling and reselling coins that come into their possession. And that by, you know, by creating so many new products each year beyond that which the government uh, by law forces them to make, that they're in fact uh, really creating a problem for coin dealers who are then left with fewer dollars, fewer customers, and responsibility to buy back these mint products or risk losing credibility uh, on the efficacy of buying coins and investing the time and the money into the hobby. And, that, and I think this is an issue that's been ongoing for quite a long time, but I don't necessarily see uh, any uh, resolve on the part of the Mint to understand or to cope with this. You know, I, your, your evaluation is accurate. The sad thing is, is Mint officials don't care. 
their constituency is the government and, and obeying their masters in government. So every time they tiptoe toward actually being sensitive to what's going on in the market, uh, somebody complains to a congressman or a senator and they get a nasty tongue lashing from the congressional office and then they're right back to being government bureaucrats. And uh, so the, the way the Mint is organized presently virtually precludes any success in, in truly understanding the numismatic market and, and, and changing their behavior to accommodate it. Uh, so basically, you almost have to go to the root and say, well, if we want it to be a, a market-friendly uh, organization, then, then it has to be, uh, you know, change the ownership or, or, or uh, the mandate uh, to, to, to do that. Otherwise, bureaucrats will behave like bureaucrats and, you know, they'll get an ad budget and they'll just throw it out there and they can justify it to their masters. We spent X number of dollars and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it, it really, it really will have no long-term impact. Uh, to your other point about uh, taking money out of the uh, market of, of between dealers and collectors, I agree with you. That's absolutely true. Uh, my first boss 40 years ago uh, was adamant in his opinion that the mint should do no more than annual proof sets and mint sets because everything else was just taking money away from the livelihood of the nation's coin dealers. Now, I just want to be clear about this. First off, you know, my position, and I'm sure you agree, is that collectors should be able to collect whatever they want without being judged. You know, if you want to buy a mint set or a proof set or commemorative coin, bullion coin or metal, you know, so long as you enjoy what you're doing and you're learning about numismatics, then you're doing it right. So you're collecting the right way. On the other hand, if you're trying to invest uh, and look at coins as an instrument to make double or triple digit gains, and, and then, then maybe you should rethink that strategy and find an area perhaps in coins where that potential exists because it, it, it probably does not exist in mint sets and proof sets and uh, that's not where the big dollars are going to be made. But but my point with the mint is that the mint isn't simply making products, putting out press releases, uh, putting products on their website and occasionally publishing a catalog. Their plan for next year includes push marketing products to their customer list so that if you bought a coin from them and you're on their list, then you might receive a text message that informs you that a new quarter has come out and click on this link to order a roll for your collection for just $19.95. You know, this is a very aggressive marketing strategy and something that you might expect from a telemarketing company. And again, the key word here is company, a private business. With the Mint, this is the U.S. government doing this. And yet, at the same time, when it comes uh, to being integrated with the industry as a whole, you know, working alongside with, collaborating, taking steps uh, to help dealers grow the industry uh, or even market their products to grow the coin market in America, um, the Mint falls back to a position that says, well, we're a government agency and, you know, we can only do so much. Well, again, it's the nature of a government bureaucracy. They, they, they don't need to. to uh, a private firm that, that would watch its market develop would be very concerned about the result. But when you're a government, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be concerned. Well, Dave, um, thank you very much. And uh, enjoy uh, getting new Mismack News in my mailbox. So uh, uh, just want to thank you again for all you do. And, you know, thanks for hanging out with us. Well, thanks, Charles. I'm delighted to have done so. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. And remember, you can download all 80-plus episodes of the Coin Week podcast for free from the iTunes store. 
For Coin Week, I'm Editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.